Alright, we met here for the purpose of worship, and certainly worship consists of a lot of things, not the least of which, of course, is prayer. So we're going to begin with silent prayer this morning, uh, and then uh, we'll proceed with the rest of our service. So let us pray. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Steve, good to have you and your family with us. And uh, Kenneth, if you would come now and lead us in a song. And we're glad to have the boys back with us, as always. Hymn number 188, let's stand and sing all four verses.
Thank you, Kenneth. Thank you all for that fine singing. And of course, thank the Lord for the grace that saved us uh, and the wonderful song that commemorates that particular moment. Uh, and uh, I would like to make announcements. We will have our prayer meeting at 6.30 on Wednesday, and then we'll have uh, our Bible study uh, at uh, 7 o'clock. So feel free to join us if you so choose. That will be Wednesday, 6.30 and 7 o'clock. All right, now then, if you will, Kenneth, come and lead us in another song. Hymn number 193, let's stand and sing the first, second, and fourth verses. to another aspect of worship and I think it's key that you understand this is a an act of worship uh, just as much as the singing just as much as the prayer just as much as the lesson uh, it's an act of worship and uh, we have plates uh, up here in the front and a plate at the back but we don't pass the plate because we don't want anybody to feel any pressure whatsoever because when we study the scriptures and we also study what we have on the internet in the way of the doctrine of giving, which by the way we covered it on Wednesday night, uh, in part at least, uh, well, it's kind of different than you find in most churches because you usually hear the cry for tithing and of course that's law and we're told to not get under the law anymore because none of us can keep it so we shouldn't play like we are keeping it because we can't so because it is tithing and it is under the law we don't tithe in this church or encourage tithing you can do whatever you want to <clears throat> but uh, the point is uh, uh, I don't teach it as something you need to do in this the church age but rather you need to go to the New Testament and find out what the New Testament has to say about giving and it's very clear there's two whole chapters in the New Testament again 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9 uh, deal primarily with giving. And, uh, of course, we also have a doctrine of giving on a, on a podcast. We also have a doctrine of giving on the Internet. And you can go and see what uh, 
uh, I teach about giving. And basically, I teach that you give in the privacy of your mind. Now, whether you have something to give or not is another matter. Maybe God hasn't blessed you and you don't have anything to give. But that does not mean that you can't give. And you're going to see, we're going to have a moment of silent prayer in a little while. And during that moment of silence, if you want to give, you gave. And uh, just as much as if you had a million dollars and you were going to dump it in the plate, uh, you gave. And as Christ said, you know, about the lady who brought a little bit in and the, the big shot who brought a lot, you know, the lady did more than the big shot, you know. Uh, so uh, understand uh, the Bible is quite clear. So if you have something to give, God has blessed you, for example, and you want to give, plate here, plate there, plate in the back. But in the event God hasn't blessed you, which He does sometimes, He doesn't always bless us. Sometimes we don't have anything to give, but that's okay according to the Scripture, the New Testament Scripture. And it clearly tells us that you can give in the privacy of your mind. So that's the key here. Uh, you can give in the privacy of your mind whether He's blessed you or not, but if He has blessed you and you want to give, we'll give. But in the event you do give and you have something to give, um, don't give it unless you can do it without attachment. Don't do it if you can't do it cheerfully, as the Scripture says. So uh, that that's important. So, so much for a little lesson on giving. Very little. But uh, there's a lot in the Bible about giving. And uh, we can certainly direct your attention to the to the podcast, or we can direct your attention to the website. All right, we're going to have a moment of silence. And Miss Tommy, if you would play something for us, and we will, then uh, I'll ask God's blessing upon the gift and the giver. Let us pray. Father, we're grateful for the privilege of being able to come together and worship. Now, I would I would ask a very special blessing upon both the gift and the giver. And also ask that you would guide us and direct us as we want to continue to worship. For I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, before we begin our lesson entitled Sanctification Part 2, uh, I want to remind you, we do have to my left a prayer list. Feel free to get it and to use it. Uh, they have names there for you to call out to the Lord with the understanding that uh, as Romans chapter 8, verse 26, 27, and 28 tell us, very often we don't know about what to pray, but that's okay because God is going to receive a perfect prayer Motivated by God the Holy Spirit and, and the Lord Jesus Christ. So we pray based upon what we think. And uh, that means you look at the list and you just call out the name, really. Uh, and uh, God's going to get a perfect prayer. Whether we pray perfectly or not. Because the prayer, according to, again, Romans eight twenty six and 27, tell us that We often pray amiss, and yet we have this intercessory prayer from, again, Christ as well as uh, the Holy Spirit to provide a perfect prayer to the Father. And then the Father will implement a perfect plan. may not be what we want necessarily, but uh, it it will be a perfect prayer. So uh, He knows. All right, with that said now, we're going to start our lesson. Uh, sanctification part two. You remember last week I covered part one and now we're going to get a quick review and then we're going to pick up new material on page five, actually at point four. But uh, uh, 
let's use First John one nine before we begin. First John one nine says, "If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness." So again, we'll have silent prayer, and it is during that time you can silently uh, cite any sin that the Holy Spirit may show you, and uh, then you'll be completely filled with the Spirit as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, you will be ready to learn, and that's what we are to do in the local assembly as I read the Scripture. So let's have a moment of silent prayer, if you will. And uh, we'll uh, then begin after that moment of silence, and I will close the prayer. Father, we are grateful for the opportunity to come together to cite our sin back silently and thus be filled with the Spirit and thus become teachable. For I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, as we saw last week, there are three types of sanctifications occurring in the life of a believer. And we've chosen to list them as phase one, phase two, and phase three. Phase one, you'll recall, is when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And as some of us were talking uh, in the fellowship hall before service, as some of us may know when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and others may not. And uh, I think it was Ken that said he didn't remember when he believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I said, well, neither did I, Kenneth, and neither did Mrs. Billy Graham, Ruth Bell Graham. You know, so it's not whether you remember or not, it's whether you have or not. Now, sometimes you have a situation in your life where you think, Well, that was the time when I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you may find something else in your life that indicates, no, back here was when I did. So, uh, in my case, you know, I've given you my testimony before. Uh, I, uh, Tom and I, when we got married, she was Pentecostal and I was a Methodist. And so we decided to join the Baptist church. And I said to myself, well, I'm going to uh, find out what the Baptists believe that nobody else believes, you know. And, of course, as I thought about it and talked to people, it was eternal security. In other words, once saved, always saved. And uh, so I thought, well, I'll just get my New Testament out and I'll just start reading and I'll prove whether they're right or wrong since I joined the church, you know. And also they made me water baptized, too. I've been baptized three times. Baptized as an infant. Uh, baptizing when I joined the Methodist Church and baptizing when I joined the Baptist Church. You know, I'm talking about water baptism. I only had one spirit baptism. And that's when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But I started reading the Bible and I came over there to Romans chapter 7 and said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. And I said, whoa, what in the world is going on? And this is the Apostle Paul talking 15 years after he had, quote, decided to serve the Lord. So uh, I thought, well, maybe they're right, you know. If he, He's telling you, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And then it kind of opened up to me. And for years I thought that's where I got saved. But then I got to reading things that I had written as a little kid about Jesus Christ and, and uh, who he was and... I used to even preach on the porch, according to my mother, uh, the kids in the neighborhood, you know. And uh, she used to tell me all the time there was no such thing as hell. And I used to tell her, you're wrong, mother. It's in the Bible. I read it and I'll show you. You know, so, you know, it's a, it's a personal thing for everybody at a different time and a different place. And, and uh, you may or may not remember, but don't you worry about it. Uh, you... Uh, If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you are as saved as you will ever be. And that is phase one. (laughs) You knew I'd get around to the lesson plan eventually, didn't you? But uh, phase one is the salvation scripture. When you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, which means, I believe, you are the Son of God. And therefore, that's called phase one, sanctification as we saw last week. 
And then phase two sanctification is something you've got to do after you don't have to do. You're supposed to do after you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is to take in the Word of God. Take in the Word of God. But you can only do that if you name your sin back to God. Back to God and you're therefore spiritual, then you can learn. And of course, uh, we'd like to talk a little bit about uh, the fact that I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That's Romans 12.1. And that's naming your sin back to God. You can't gut it out and make yourself right with God. It, it doesn't work. The devil is too smart, and demons are too smart, and too active on planet earth uh, that it's just too tough so what do you do well when you are you there's a cross back behind me there for those of you who are not with us but are listening on the internet or on the podcast uh, and uh, you simply cite a sin that Christ took care of on the cross that's first John 1 9 now you're as spiritual as you'll ever be now you can learn and uh, that's what you do. But how? What? Well, that's the first problem you have, of course, is is the Romans twelve one, where you name your sin back to God. In other words, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. And then, of course, uh, you got something to do after that, because now you're a spiritual baby. You're saved. It's done. Praise the Lord. You've named your sin back to God, but now you got to do something else, and that is to take in the Word of God regularly. And that's in Romans 12, 2. 12, 1, I beseech you, brethren, as I've quoted twice. And then, of course, 12, 2 says, Be ye not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of the mind, that you may know what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So now you got some mind transformation to do, which is to take in the Word of God. Take in the Word of God on a regular basis. Then we talked about phase three sanctification, which is the ultimate. That's when you die or the rapture occurs, whichever occurs first, and you go to be with the Lord in a perfect situation. So perfect that God didn't tell us anything about it. Nobody knows what heaven's going to be like. We can go to the book of Revelation and see what the new Jerusalem's going to be like in chapter 21 and 22. But it doesn't say anything about heaven other than you're going to be with the Lord. You're going to be with all those folks who've gone before you. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them who went before you. No, because when He comes, He'll bring them with you. For the Lord Himself shall descend from the heavens with the shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet them in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord." Again, that's the description of the rapture. Before I finish speaking, the rapture could occur. And, uh, woo, there we'll go and we'll meet the saints in the, in the air, you know. And, uh, I don't know how all that's gonna work. I don't know how it's gonna be explained, you know, on planet Earth. What happened to all the Christians? They left. Where'd they go? I don't know. They're just not here now. You know, there's their uniform. There's their Kenneth's shirt, Kenneth's pants, be sure you wear clean underwear. And there's the underwear, and, and there's the, all the things, your hat's there, you know, and, uh, and you're with the Lord, and you meet your, you know, your kin first, you know, they'll all come first. And we're in the air, then we'll go to be with the Lord, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So again, the Lord Himself shall descend from the heavens with the shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet of God shall sound, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet them in the clouds. And there's a summation of phase one, phase two, and phase three. Alright, then we looked at the New Testament etymology, meaning what we find in the way of the Greek words, uh, and they're translated, uh, uh, in some form of sanctification or sanctify. Excuse me, are sanctified. So let's review that very quickly. First of all, point one in the lesson plan. In the New Testament, the verb translated sanctify is hagiazo. The Greek verb has four cognates. Hagias, hagiasmas, hagiates, and hagian. Alright, hagiazo appears 28 times in the King James Version, where it is translated hallowed, sanctifieth, be holy, sanctify or sanctification. Uh, and one that surprises a lot of folks, I know the wife and I have talked about this before, is how it's translated hallowed. 
uh, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. There's our word for sanctification there. It means set apart. The Lord's name needs to be set apart as special. Uh, and then we had, uh, we looked at it in John 10, 36, 1 Timothy 4, 4, 1 Corinthians 1, 2. And then we went to the word hagias. Now I'm reviewing, so understand that. Uh, we're going to get the new material when we get to page 5. But Haggai appears more than 240 times, where in the KJV it is translated holy, saint, or saints. As we shall see, it is used as a description of the third person of the Trinity and the born and the born again believer. So it's also a description of the Holy Spirit. The word holy is, of course, Haggai. Uh, and it's a set apart Holy Spirit. Uh, just as Christ was set apart, just as the Father is set apart. So we noted that in John 7, 39, Acts 11, 15, and 16, Colossians 3, 12, and 13. And then we have the word hagiasmas, which appears ten times, where in the KJV it is translated holiness or sanctification. You can find that as we studied last week in 1 Corinthians 1, 30, 2 Thessalonians 2, 13, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. And then we have the word hagiates, appears once where in the trans. KJV, at least, is translated holiness. And that word hagiasmos is usually translated sanctification, as you see in your lesson plan. Uh, and we noted that in Hebrews 12:10, And then we looked at the word hagion, which appears ten times, where in the KJV it is translated sanctuary, holiest, holiest, holy places, and holy place. And we observe that in its use in Hebrews 9.1, Hebrews 9.8, and Hebrews 9.24. Then we had the word Hagiosune, which appears three times in the KJV, and it is translated holiness. And that little suffix sune on the end of the word means it's a process going on. And we observe that, uh, how uh, it's used in Romans 1.4, it's used in 2 Corinthians 7.1, it's used in 1 Thessalonians 3.12. Uh, and then we move to the subject of the sanctification and the believer. So, sanctification and the believer. Uh, and we uh, saw it's a technical term describing the plan of God in the life of the believer. Uh, and uh, it, again, phase one, positional, phase two, time, and phase three, eternity, as we earlier noted. So, sanctification means to be set apart as sacred. Sanctification is a priestly term reserved for only the royal family. You become royalty whenever you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You're your royal family. You may not act like it. You may not feel like it, but you are it. You are royalty. Uh, And, of course, the, 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 the plan is for you to take in the Word of God under the filling of the Spirit and demonstrate that you are royalty. All right, uh, sanctification is a priestly term, then. And reserved for the royal family. Jesus' battlefield victory when he was proclaimed the victor in the angelic conflict demanded the interruption of the church age, uh, excuse me, of the Jewish age, and the intercalation of the church age. And you've seen the dispensation chart on many, many different occasions, uh, and you can go to the internet and see the charts uh, and show how it's an intercalation. Christ came. He presented his kingdom in Israel. That's the kingdom age. And then, of course, uh, it was interrupted by the church age, inserted in between the kingdom age and, of course, the, the tribulation itself. So there it is. Uh, and we call it an intercalation because it intercalates, same as insertion. All right, now then, the concept, Jesus in the KJV is called the set-apart one of God. We noted that in John six sixty nine, He is the set-apart one. Haggai, for example, I'm going to read that one for you. And we ourselves have believed in the past with the result we now believe. And we have known in the past with the result we now know that we are and keep on being the set-apart one. Haggai of God. So Jesus in the NIV is called the Holy One of God. And we of the church age are hagioi. Oi on the end of a Greek word is plural. Uh, O-S is in the nominative singular. It's a singular. So we of the church age are hagioi, set apart ones, in union with Christ as believers. And we noted that in 1 Corinthians 1, 2. 
the church of God in Corinth to those sanctified in Christ. And you remember I made the point here, the Corinthians were a bunch of bad guys. You know, they, they were not uh, the best in the West, if you will. They were uh, always criticizing poor old Paul, poor old Timothy. Uh, they tried to criticize Titus, but he cut them short. He stopped them short. Uh, because he was uh, the first soldier, if you will. He was the, uh, Paul's first soldier, meaning he was, he was tough and he was strong and he didn't take any baloney from the Corinthians, but they were constantly, uh, causing trouble. But notice they are sanctified in Christ. See, it has nothing to do with what you're doing now other than the fact that God's going to come looking for you with the two by four and hit you between the eyes, you know. To get your attention, because the scripture says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. And we were talking about the boys, Dalton and Kelly, uh, in, uh, over there in the fellowship hall this morning, uh, and the, the horse story. So I'm going to tell you the horse story one more time, you know. Uh, we had two guys in our church, you know, who thought they were horsemen, and they knew how to handle horses and so forth. And so they had this lady who had this really fine Arabian horse, and he kept, he kept throwing his head. When a horse throws his head, it's not good because one, he can hit you in the nose with his head, and two, he can, pardon the expression, throw snot on you. And uh, the, so you don't want that to happen. So the lady said, you know, I wish you guys could uh, cure this horse of throwing his head like that. I don't want to put a tie down on him. A lot of people will put a tie down under the bridle and then tie it around the, 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 the chest of the horse so he can't do that. And that's usually thought to be somebody who doesn't know much about his horse because he can't train his horse, you know, to stop doing that. But Kelly and uh, uh, Dalton said, well, we can handle that. We, we'll do that for you for X dollars, you know. And so they took that old Arabian horse out and, and they had asked me earlier, what do you do to stop the horse from doing that? And I said, well, the best thing for a horse is to, to get you something and when he raises his head like that, club him over the top of the head. You know, not hard necessarily, but get his attention. But the main thing that you do is you scream at the horse. Because it's the scream really that takes care of the horse. It's not the hitting on the head because he's a lot bigger, a lot stronger than you are. Well, they unfortunately didn't quite understand. So the old, excuse me, the old horse raised his head and they hit him over the head with the club and knocked him out. And the horse, I don't know how, 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 how many of you would admit to seeing blazing saddles, but the horse, when, uh, uh the guy knocked the horse out with his fist, you know, and down went the horse, you know. And uh, they were scared to death because this was a very expensive horse. And they uh, didn't, they thought maybe they killed him, you know. Well, fortunately, they just knocked him out, and he finally got up, and they took him back to the lady. And I never asked the question, did he ever throw his head again, you know. But uh, that is how you discipline the horse and God sometimes disciplines us in a lot of ways maybe he clubs us over the head when we need it or he gives us a see this is a good thing about God God knows your frame God knows my frame and he knows what we need he knows you may need x and you may need y you may need discipline and you may need I know she needs a prize but uh, my wife but uh it just depends on your frame. He knows your every move. He knows your every gene, genetically speaking now. And he knows also uh, uh, what will cure you, what will help you. And he'll give you that because he loves you. God loves his family. God appreciates his family. So we've got to keep that in mind always, especially when we have a problem. We think, oh my gosh, I got this problem. Well, that's what you need or you wouldn't have that problem. Uh, and uh, so you have to uh, thank him for it, or should. You don't have to do anything in this world, you know, except die or pay taxes, and, and the taxes are going up. But the point is uh, we have to uh, understand uh, that for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Book of Hebrews 5.8. All right, now we looked at Hagi Sunni again, the process, and now Hagi Asmas is used for a forever set apartness in eternity. Notice the first Peter one two, we saw that and studied a little bit. The verb form of these nouns is hagiazo. In other words, if you go back to the verb form, in other words, where it's used in its nominative singular. And that's what we call in the in the Greek and in the English for that matter. 
these means set apart or sacred. Then we looked at targets and agents of sanctification. The targets for sanctification are the souls of the believers, as we've already noted. There are three types of sanctifications. Again, positional, temporal, or ultimate. Positional, temporal, or ultimate. Phase one, phase two, or phase three. And the method of sanctification as far as phase one and phase two are concerned is faith in Christ. Hebrews one, excuse me, Hebrews 10, 10 for, for the, excuse me, by the which will we are sanctified, by the which will, God's will, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Alright, now we're on page five and we're going to slow down a little bit, having gone through quite a bit of review there. Uh, but, uh, uh, let's see what we've got here. All right, point three, the phase one and phase three sanctification, again, is a forever condition. Notice the chart, Hebrews ten fourteen. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. So you can see as a result of the work of Christ and the cross, and the, his work on the cross, we are in what we call a top circle condition. We are in union with Christ forever. Eternal relationship, eternal security, and you can't get out of there is the point. And I've used several stories from the space world for that, but uh, I haven't worked on the space program from 1962 until 1967. And this, the Apollo program, Saturn program began in 62, though a lot of plans had been laid uh, for uh, with uh, different programs. Uh, but uh, we won't get into that today. All right, uh, and that was uh, point four. We're actually going to get new material on five, but let's go ahead and hit point four right quick. The primary agent for sanctification is the Holy Spirit of God. <clears throat> Excuse me. Romans fifteen sixteen that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. Paul talking, of course, ministering the gospel of God that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable being sanctified, set apart by the Holy Spirit. So the foreknowledge of God is related to the sanctification work of the Holy Spirit. Notice Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit, and belief of the truth. So Paul, when he crossed the Telespont, coming over from Greece and moving over to what was in Macedonia or northern Greece today, and then he began to move south as he moved down, of course, uh, to Philip from Philippi to Berea, and then, of course, he eventually got to Corinth on, on the uh, on what we call Achaia, the southern part of Greece. And he's simply telling those in Thessalonica who were under a great deal of persecution that God selected them from the beginning just as he selected every believer in the world uh, way back yonder in eternity past before time was he saw the timeline everything that's going to happen on the timeline and again I would refer you to our, our, our dispensation chart uh, and uh, he saw some he saw believers believe he saw unbelievers refuse to believe uh, and he did his very best to get every person to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He revealed Christ to them, and uh, it's up to them to make the decision in the mind, in the privacy of their mind, uh, I believe. And that's when you get sanctified in terms of phase one sanctification. Now you got to move forward in phase two. So sanctification in phase two is performed by Bible doctrine, taught by God the Holy Spirit. I am merely presenting here this morning, uh, and uh, God the Holy Spirit is teaching. That's why you need to stay confessed up. If you have a sin, you have to just simply cite it to God that that's one on the cross behind me. Uh, not that special cross, but behind me that He took care of on the cross, uh, which is, of course, a result of your faith alone in Christ alone. All right, John 17, 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Then we have Ephesians five twenty six, That he sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. In other words, water is used for many things in Scripture. Uh, and, of course, certainly 
uh, we are cleansed and sanctified when we have faith alone in Christ alone. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Uh, he came into his own Israel, but his own refused him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them who believe on his name. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God sent his Son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. All right, now let's go to the agent of phase three, sanctification. Phase one is salvation. Phase two is what you do in time as you take in the Word of God. And again, uh, your right pastor, teacher, or whoever, however you get it, by uh, the radio, by the television set, by, uh, you know, it doesn't matter. The power is in the Word. The power is in the Word. All right, the agent for phase three, sanctification, is the Trinity. God the Holy Spirit, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. And, of course, you, you have what uh, Colonel Theme calls the, the minutes of the, of, uh, of the eternal life conference set forth in the Old Testament, Isaiah 48, 16 and 17. It shows Christ speaking. Christ said, Come ye near unto me, hear ye this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning, from the time that it was, there am I. And now the Lord God in His Spirit hath sent me. Thus saith the Lord thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord thy God which teacheth thee, teacheth thee to profit, which leadeth thee by the way that thou shouldest go. And so basically the Father came up with the plan way back yonder in eternity past. Christ agreed to execute the plan. And the Holy Spirit agreed to reveal the plan. Alright, now we're going to the mechanics of sanctification on page 6. At salvation, eternal life is imputed to a regenerated human spirit. In other words, when we're born again, we get a human spirit. Uh, just as the scripture indicates. Uh, and uh, now we can grow in His grace uh, because... The Holy Spirit can teach our human spirit, and by faith we appropriate it over into the right lobe, which uh, we have seen before. And uh, we can then grow in His grace. Alright, so keep in mind sin is not an issue here, because all sin was imputed to and judged on Christ. This includes the sins of both the believer and the unbeliever. So what is the issue of sin is not an issue. It's what think ye of Christ. And this is made clear in 1 John 2, 2. Notice, if you will, with me uh, in your lesson plan. And He is the propitiation for our sins, but not for ours only, but for the sins of the entire world. So sin is no longer an issue. So what is the issue? What think ye of Christ? And this handy-dandy little chart down here uh, is uh, uh, makes it very clear for us. Notice we have the X category of sins. That's our pre-salvation sins. Y category of sin. That's our post-salvation sins. And then there's category Z for the unbeliever's sins, which merely takes into account what we just read in 1 John 2, 2. And he is appreciation for not only our sins, but for the sins of the entire world. So sin isn't an issue anymore. And I had to learn that the hard way by learning when you tell somebody about the Lord Jesus Christ, which is when you wait for an answer. Be ready to give an answer to anyone who asketh you anything concerning the hope that is in you. And when you get that right person who's ready to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to talk to them about faith alone in Christ alone and not sin. Because sin is not an issue. Notice all sin was judged and imputed to the cross. It's what we call unlimited atonement. Redemption solution and the chart merely affects, re, merely reflects what we have for us in 1 John 2, 2. Alright, salvation doctrine is clearly communicated to the believer by the Holy Spirit and the believer becomes a possessor of plus R, plus righteousness. Righteousness beyond our capability. God's perfect righteousness including all of God's essences and we like to say there are ten essences borrowing again from Colonel R.B. theme a former pastor of the Houston uh, church, uh, 
Bible church. There's sovereignty, righteousness, justice, love, eternal life, omnipotence, omniscience, omnipresence, immutability, and veracity. And we have on the internet a doctrine of the essence of God. You can go there and read all about the essence of God and the definition of all of those ten essences as well as the things that are held in common by all three members of the Trinity. So this is a forever condition that is phase three. Guarantee we will not see the lake of fire. This is also where the baptism of the Holy Spirit occurs. And from this point in our own in our life, our life has meaning and purpose. By identification with our Lord's spiritual death, we are free from the indictment of spiritual death, which is imputed to our old sin natures at birth. All people are born with a dead old, in other words, with an old sin nature and a dead human spirit. Uh, and that's why it's important for them to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ when it's made clear to them. And it's God's responsibility to make it clear. And He does it in all different ways. Uh, as uh, you probably know in your own life. And you probably know if you've been out witnessing, uh, you have some strange events from time to time, uh, how people uh, have uh, come to know the Lord Jesus as they relate their own situation. Oh, this is how I came to know the Lord Jesus, you know. Maybe I remember a football player who said he was about to go out to be introduced his name was Sanders. He was a great tight end for the Detroit Lions. And his foot was up on the top step. And they just had a service uh, before the game started. They had a chaplain of the team. And he had told them about how to get saved. And it dawned on him. He's right. He's right. All you have to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. For God did so love the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He came unto His own, not to, of course, to condemn them, but to... Give them salvation through His work on the cross. Uh, so uh, we find that strange ways that people get saved, of course. But personal sin is not an issue, recall. We just went over that, didn't we? We even had a chart on it right there on the same page. And again, I repeated First John 2, 2, since it's so important. And He is the propitiation for our sins. Not for ours only, but for the sins of the entire world. So positional sanctification is all grace. We are in the top circle. You can't get out of the top circle. Uh, and uh, we have nothing to do with it. And what's the definition of grace? Grace is all that God is free to do for you and for me on the basis of the cross without in any way compromising His integrity. All right, and notice 1 Corinthians 1, 2. Unto the church of God was is at current to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus. We read this passage earlier, you may recall. Call to be saints with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. And the Corinthians were a bunch of bad guys. And yet they were called saints, set apart ones, hagioi. Uh, why? Because of faith alone in Christ alone. Because you have some people who are what we might call good Christians. Some might be a- average Christians. Or some might be... Uh, uh, not so good Christians, you know. But the point is, we're all in the process of spiritual growth. And it's important for us. Some have a long way to go. Some have a short way to go, given the fact their genetic makeup, given the fact that they uh, uh, have had certain environmental situations that are not necessarily pleasing. But God knows all that. He knows your frame. He knows every gene in your body. He knows everything you've encountered your entire life. And He's working with you right now. Notice 1 Corinthians 1.30. But of Him are ye in Christ Jesus. Again, the Corinthians, who of God is made unto us wisdom and, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And again, Corinthians 6.11. And search for some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. So even though if you're a Corinthian, if you will, you are, of course, uh, saved the same way. Faith alone in Christ alone. So phase two sanctification is called experiential or temporal sanctification or the new life. Notice John seventeen seventeen. Sanctify them, this is Christ speaking, through thy truth, thy word is truth. And then Paul in speaking in Romans 6, 4. 
Therefore we are buried with him by baptism unto death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead of the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. All right, experiential sanctification is potential and comes from the consistent use of the two power options. Again, we've read Second Thessalonians 2.13. So let's look at John 17.17. 17, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And then Romans 12, 1, I've quoted, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That's when you name your sin back to God, and that's the only way you can do that. Don't kid yourself that you can gut it up and you can be what God would have for us to be. Because you're going to fail from time to time. You are going to sin. Read Romans, I'm sorry, read 1 John 1, 8. Then read 1 John 1.10. And then notice what's in between those two verses. 1 John 1.9. 1 John 1.8 says, If you sin, you may, if you say you've not sinned, you lie. 1.10 says, If you say you've not sinned, you make God a liar. So what's the answer? 1 John 1.9. In between. Two pieces of bread. Meat in between. 1 John 1.9. If we, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. Not merely the one you cited, but all unrighteousness. So we just need to be faithful. When the Holy Spirit shows you something and you feel like the Spirit's speaking to me, I shouldn't have said that to Kenneth, or I shouldn't have said that to Kim, or I shouldn't have said that to Tommy, or I shouldn't have said that to Carol. And then I decided it back to God. And now I'm ready to keep on moving and growing in His grace. Uh, so it's important for us to do that. And as I was telling about one of the ladies' pictures that we saw in our picture album in there, I said, that's the lady that said, you and Pastor Keck shouldn't be teaching that all you have to do is name your sin back to God and you are forgiven. You shouldn't be teaching that because, you know, if you teach that, the young people will sin. Now see, that's awful silly, isn't it? The old people sin also. We all sin. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. All we like sheep have gone astray. We turned everyone to his own own way. And the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. So we're all sinners. Again, 1 John 1 1 John 1 10 and many other passages. So we are going to sin, so we have to know what to do about it. And that's why you come to Bible class, so that you can hear what the Scripture has to say. So production now in time. Let's take a look there. Production in time is a result of phase two sanctification. What is phase two? Naming your sin back to God when the Holy Spirit shows you and taking in the Word of God. Ephesians 2n gives you 2.10. Gives you an example here. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus under good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Did you know up there in heaven somewhere there's a big old vault and it has all the things that you ought to be doing, but you're too smart to do it, or you're too evil to do it, or you whatever it happens to be. I shouldn't know. I don't know. Uh, I better talk about myself, you know. Things that we haven't done. In this, I'm assuming now there's this big vault up there because we just, uh, well, I'm going to read it to you again. Uh, way back yonder in eternity past, before time was, there were certain things that he wanted us to display in time. Uh, but we can't do that. I just don't feel like doing that. That's not my cup of tea. Well, doesn't matter. It's in the scripture. You are to do it. Uh, and it says here, for we are his workmanship. We are his manufactured product. We were created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Certain good works. Which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. The key word there is we should. That's a subjunctive mood. It means maybe you will and maybe you won't. Maybe you can just, you know, blow it off because it's not your nature to do that or, or whatever it might be, you know. Or, uh, you know, I just can't do that, you know. Well, he manufactured these things for you to display in time. And, and I always like to say when I die, which probably won't be long being 85 years old next month. Is it 85, honey? 85 years old next month, August. And, uh, 
I'm soon to be with the Lord. So one of the things that I'm going to do is I'm going to look up and see what the Kim was supposed to do. No, no, no. I'm going to look up what I was supposed to do. You know, I'll go to that vault and I'll open that door. And then I'll get that DVD, is it? And I'll put it in the machine there and it said, uh-oh, I missed that one. Uh-oh, I missed that one. Uh-oh, I missed that one, you know. But foreordained for you to display in time. And how does it get displayed? We studied that already. You take in the Word of God under the filling of the Spirit, and it will get displayed. Alright, so for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus under good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And James said it another little different way here. I'm going to go to page 8, the top of the page. And then I know what the time says. I have a good eyes still. And I can see the time. And I've got one more, two more minutes. And then we're going to close this out. But James one twenty one says it in literary terms, if you will. He says, wherefore, which should be better translated, therefore. Therefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. That's sin and evil. Lay it apart. Superfluity of naughtiness. And receive with meekness, humility, the engrafted word. And that word can better be translated pregnant word. The pregnant word of God is capable of producing. It's capable of producing. Which is able to deliver your souls and make you a better person. A better person in time. Okay, I will quit. Alright, here we go. Uh, we're going to have an invitation now. So I want you to bow your head and close your eyes and pray that salvation message will be ac- accurately communicated. There's nothing that I can say up here that could cause anybody to do anything, but I know what will, and that's the Word of God. And the Word of God starts off by saying we are all sinners, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. All we like sheep have gone astray, we turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid upon him Jesus the iniquity of us all. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what's the answer to sin? The answer to sin is faith alone in Christ alone. As I've indicated, for God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. As many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them who believe on His name. All we like sheep have gone astray, but the Lord hath laid upon Him. So you see, He came unto His own, which was Israel, but Israel refused Him not. But as many as did receive Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. So right where you are, whatever you might be doing, you can tell God the Father, I'm believing in God the Son, and on the promise of the Word, you will be saved. It's that simple. Faith alone in Christ alone. As many as received Him, as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. I'm going to pause for just a moment now and give opportunities to anyone who may be without Christ, without hope, and without eternal life to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And then I'm going to close with a benediction. Father, we are privileged to have come together and to worship. Now guide us and direct us throughout the rest of this week and help us to glorify Thy name. For I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.